Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Sheila Zielinski Show. This is my second recording today. I got done with Michael Lake, and now I am on to a guest that I've really wanted to have him on. I heard him speak on another platform, and I was absolutely impressed. I knew I had to get him on the show to bless you, and I want to jump right into the show. Without further ado, it is Leo Homan. He is a veteran journalist and news editor for news giant WND with a particular focus on immigration and Islam. The book is called Stealth Invasion, and listen to this subtitle, Muslim Conquest Through Immigration and Resettlement Jihad. It is a brilliantly researched book, and I can't wait to get into it today. Leo, welcome to the program, sir. It's a pleasure to have you on. Absolutely, and I'm thrilled to be here with you today, Sheila. Thanks for having me on. And by the way, Leo, I got to tell my audiences, isn't it ironic that it's day one as we're recording of Ramadan? There you go. A little irony there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we certainly, uh, or at least I know I didn't plan it that way, but uh, let's make the best of it. Yes, sir. Let's do it. Well, I want you to give folks a little sneak peek on, you know, why you decided to tackle a book like this. It's a topic that needs to be discussed. But you know what I find fascinating? And I got to tell you this real quick. I had a Muslim man contact me and, you know, he said, you know, Sheila, you just don't understand the plight of us Muslims. I study the Quran and you just don't understand. It's only the radicals and it's only this and you just misunderstand and people just misunderstand us. And if they could just really understand. And I said to that guy, listen, I'm not fooled by this devilish religion. You know, there's so many reasons why Christians don't speak out. But there's also a lot of confusion I find in the body of Christ in regards to Islam. Yeah, there really is. You know, there's this dual-edged sword uh, within Islam. You know, you have the soft side of Islam that they call Dawah. You know, that's the outreach, the evangelism. They talk about the religion of peace. And they don't really delve into any of the details of Islamic doctrine or Islamic theology. They just sort of call, they call the, the, the unbelievers, the infidels, to Islam. And they figure, we'll explain the details to them later. And this is really the thrust put forward by the Muslim Brotherhood, the International Muslim Brotherhood, which I go into some detail in my book explaining what they're all about. And understanding that organization, I think, Sheila, is really the key to understanding what is going on in the world today. Uh, you have these two sides. You have the jihadist, which is the one that we're all familiar with, who, you know, goes to a cafe or a bus stop and blows himself up or attacks people uh, in the middle of a dinner at a restaurant with knives. And, you know, we're all familiar with that. We just had another knife incident in Paris a few days ago yeah. with a couple of people killed and I think four people injured. A migrant from Chechnya who became a French citizen in his adult years carried out that attack. We're so familiar with that type of attack. That's the jihadist. But then we also have the Islamist. And uh, really, I've heard it explained one time in a, such a way that has stuck with me for, for years now, that the jihadist is just an impatient Islamist. Oh. Uh, an Islamist has the exact same end goal in mind as the jihadist. He wants to, he wants to see Sharia law implemented in his non-Muslim society. Uh, the jihadist, however 
is not real patient and wants to see that happen quickly. So he's willing to enter the battlefield and fight, physically fight, for this end goal. The Islamist, on the other hand, wants to work slowly and incrementally using the freedoms and the political systems of the West. Uh, They're very patient. If it takes several generations, they're completely fine with that. The two do work hand-in-hand as well, though, however, because when the jihadists, see, the jihadists also serve as a great distraction for us, us ignorant uh, infidels here in the West. They take up a lot of time on the nightly news, these bad, awful, evil jihadists. And see, that gives the Islamists the opportunity to step in and say, oh, we're not like them. Those are the bad Muslims. Come to us, the religion of peace. We're the good Muslims. We know the Quran, and we know the correct interpretations, knowing full well that they have the exact same interpretation as the violent jihadist. But they're cloaking themselves in this religion of peace mantra. They're quoting the earlier verses of the Quran, which were the verses that were given by the angel Gabriel, supposedly, to Muhammad in his early years while he was living in Mecca. And uh, the Meccans did not respond to his message, uh, the the pagan uh, people of Mecca. And so what did he do? After a few years of trying to convert the pagans without success, he started hearing of a plot to assassinate him there in Mecca, and so he fled. He made what's called Hijra, the migration to another city uh, to the north called Medina. And it was there in Medina, Medina was populated by a lot of Jewish communities, and he started spreading his message there, and it sounded good at first to the Jews of Medina because he was speaking of one God. This It was a, a new monotheistic religion that the Jews thought, well, you know, it doesn't sound that much different than our religion, which we also worship the one true God, Jehovah. Uh, but the more they that uh, this was these early stages again that I was talking about earlier, the softer cell, the soft side of Islam that he was using, and it was starting to work, and he was getting some converts. But when Muhammad started divulging some of the details of uh, his new faith, they were starting to realize this doesn't sound like our God at all. And so they rejected Islam. This Allah, God, does not sound at all like Jehovah. After all, that is when Muhammad started becoming violent, and some of the more violent verses of the Quran were given to him at that point. And you you see the Muslim Brotherhood today using this dual-edged sword, the peaceful verses to draw people in, later come the violent verses. But the violent verses are the real Islam because they were given later in the life of Muhammad. And Islamic doctrine says that if we have two contradicting verses, we go with the later one. That's called the doctrine of abrogation. And so they're able to play both sides of the fence, and it's very effective against the Western mind and especially the Christians because we want to love everybody, right? I mean, that's that's in our nature as Christians. And so if somebody comes to us in peace, uh, we're going to accept that, and we're going to take them at their word. But the Bible also warns us to be as wise as serpents, not only as gentle as doves, but as wise as serpents, and to test the spirits of those with which we're dealing and those even who come in the name of peace. Yeah. 
And I find this so interesting, Leo, because there are recorded 1.2 billion Muslims in the world today. And of course, not all of them are radicals. The majority of them are quote unquote peaceful people. The radicals are estimated to be between, okay, 15 and 25% according to intelligence around the world. 180 million to 300 million people dedicated to the destruction of Western civilization. That's almost the entire U.S. population. So why should we be worried about the radicals? When you look at the lessons throughout history, most Germans were peaceful, yet the Nazis drove the Mm. agenda and 60 million died. The peaceful majority were irrelevant. Stalin, Mao Zedong, Japan Mm. prior to World War II, the peaceful majority were irrelevant. Moderate and peaceful Muslims, where are the others speaking out? It's time to take political correctness and throw it in the trash where it belongs, isn't it? Absolutely. And and it's even more deceptive than that, in my opinion, Sheila, because a lot of those presenting themselves as moderate and peaceful Muslims are the same people who, uh, when they build up a significant force of Muslim population in a country, they will switch to what they call the upper house. You have the Dar al-Harb, which is the house of war, and the Dar al-Islam, which is the house of peace. But you can't have war if you don't have the numbers, and so they present it, as I was trying to say earlier, as a religion of peace. And so I guess what I'm saying is everybody who says that they're a peaceful, while I agree that the majority are peaceful, that's only because they're not studying their Quran, they're not going to mosque with regularity. But the good Muslims, you know, the good Muslims who are studying the Quran, they are listening to the Imam, they're going to Friday prayers every week, you know, those tend to be the ones who are more susceptible to the message of Muhammad, which Muhammad is considered the ideal man, the most perfect man who ever lived. So if you are a devout Muslim, you are trying to emulate the life of your messenger, your prophet, Muhammad. And all you have to do is look at the life of this man. Yeah, he was a pedophile. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, right. Compare the life of this man with the life of Jesus. You know, Jesus never commanded an army. Jesus never had sexual relations with a woman, let alone a child. Jesus never said to kill the Jews or kill his enemies, any of his enemies, and he did have enemies. He never, any. in fact, there were zealots in his time who wanted to take up arms, who wanted to take up arms against the enemies of their Messiah. They were called the zealots, and they wanted to uh, draw the sword against the Roman oppressor. Jesus always says no Put down the sword and compare and contrast that message with with the message of Muhammad, uh, who said to strike terror, strike terror in the hearts of the unbeliever. Chop off the heads, cut off the heads, strike off the limbs of the people who oppress, and the people who defile or the corrupt people of the land, which were often described as the Jews, uh, later the Christians. So, you know, you have these two worldviews that are diametrically opposed and then you look at the truth, you look at the message, which is, we're a religion of peace. Well, no, you aren't. You, as an individual, may or may not be a person of peace, but your religion is definitely not a religion of peace. And so I have to wonder about even the moderate reforming Muslims, like Zudi Jasser. You know, he's a good man. He, I do believe that he is honestly trying to reform Islam into something more peaceful, but I don't understand what he has to work with. Where is the peaceful Islam? Where are you going to get a peaceful Quran? 
where are you going to get peaceful hadiths? You know, there's that famous hadith that says, Oh, Muslim, the time of day, the day of judgment will not come until you fight the Jews. And the day will come where the Jews will be hiding behind a tree or a rock, and the tree will cry out, Oh, Muslim, there is a Jew hiding behind me. Come and kill him. What do you do with those texts if you're a reformist Muslim like Zudi Jasser? Uh, He has a long, hard road ahead of him is all I'm saying. Well, and isn't it interesting while we're recording this week? I mean, look at look what's going on in Israel. They refused Turkey's request to airlift injured Palestinians from Gaza. I mean, the rumblings in the Middle East, all hell is broken loose over this embassy. You've got the situation in Iran. I mean, what is your take on, on some of that, Leo? Well, it's, yeah, I mean, my goodness, things really seem to be forging ahead quickly, don't they, in light of the Bible, which tells us, in Old Testament prophecies that Jerusalem will become a stumbling block for the nations. And that seems to be what's coming to pass right before our eyes, doesn't it? President Trump, for whatever reason, decided it was important to move the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem, which is the rightful capital of the state of Israel. And what state in the world doesn't have the right to declare its own capital city? I I can't think of another country, maybe in the history of the world, uh, but certainly in the world today, who would declare its capital to be in a certain city within the boundaries of, of that nation, and that the world would just go berserk and say, no, 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 you can't put your capital in that city. So it is this huge stumbling block at the United Nations and in the quote-unquote global community of nations. And uh, you have to ask yourself, why? Why is this? Why is Israel treated unlike any other country in the world and cannot even declare its own capital city? I I think it has to go back to the fact that this is the land of, of Jesus Christ. This is the land where he made his first coming, and this is the land where he will make his second coming. You know, as long as it is not intact, as long as this land is not intact with Jerusalem, its uh, historic capital, in place. Perhaps the forces of evil think that they can put off this day, you know, this day of reckoning, this day of the returning Savior to come and make the final judgment. Maybe they don't even consciously realize this, but they're under the spell of evil spirits in the world. And and and, and this is, I don't know how you feel about it, uh, Sheila, I would be I would be interested to hear your opinion on this, but this is, I believe, like the Apostle Paul said, that it is spiritual forces in high places that we're dealing with here, not just flesh and blood. Yeah, we're fighting principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, wicked spirits. I mean, these demons that have been unleashed through this, because you talked about Muhammad earlier. You know, the bottom line, I'll say it, and I've always said this, he was a straight-up perverted pedophilic demon. The guy was... Warlord, and a warlord, yeah. Lord, a religion of intolerance is what you mean that breeds violence. I used to say, oh, a peaceful religion. Yeah, a piece of a dead body here, a piece of a dead body. I mean, oh, it's it's a peaceful religion. Mm -hmm. All right. It's the worst kind of violence. It's against women and children, against unarmed soft targets, against the very fabric of Western civilization. So why do they, Leo, want to come to a place where not only do they hate, but where they're hated? I think that is a question that is easily answered. Uh, Go back to the life of Muhammad. This is the life of the man that today's leading Muslim scholars want 
everybody to emulate. What did he do when he moved, when his message <clears throat> was rejected in one place? He made hijra to another place. Yeah. He made hijra. He made migration. He brought the message of Islam to a non-Muslim land, a place that hated, like you said, why would they want to go to a place that, that they hate that place? There's mutual hatred. Why do they want to go there? To spread Islam, to spread the message of the Prophet and bring it under the dominion of Islam. This is why I wrote my book, and that is what my book is all about, to warn people in America and Canada, North America, Look to Europe is, is kind of the message of the book. If yeah. you want a, a model of what the intentions of Islam are, look to Europe. We have that model right there for us to inspect if we want to. Let's get out of denial. Let's open our eyes. Let's stop following blind leaders. Remember, Jesus told us that uh, the Pharisees in his day were like blind guides. He said, leading the flock into the abyss. Yeah. And this is what we have in the church today, the liberal churches, the liberal denominations. They are led by blind guides telling us Islam is really no different than Christianity. It's a religion of peace. It's just been perverted by groups like ISIS and Al-Qaeda. We must sit down at the same table and, and have interfaith dialogues with these messengers of death and uh, whose only intention is to destroy us, if not by violence, but through infiltrating us and, and teaching us their false doctrines. It's so interesting you just said that. This is such a good segue because I was really shocked. Last Wednesday night I watched an episode of Roseanne, and I don't know if you caught this. You know, it's My very... wife is a big fan of that show, but I, I think I was sitting at my computer doing something okay, else. Okay, you, <laughs> you need to go back and watch it, and I'll tell you why. Okay. So they have a Muslim neighbor, and I was really shocked that they're they're going there speaking of we need to embrace our muslim neighbors you know in the beginning of the show she's kind of quipping this guy's stocking up on fertilizer but you know what's happening is we're getting very incrementally acclimated because they're basically saying look at these poor nice people they they love america they just want to live next right. to you they want to live in peace their poor kid has to go to bed with a bulletproof vest because of all the the nastiness and right away there's a guilt trip that's put on you and you think you know and and personally as a christian I was very torn. You know, we do have compassion for people that are duped into these devil religions. But for the most part, the church is kumbaya, love, love, love. Let's have a group hug. Let's all coexist. This whole interfaith thing. It's like we got to have a dialogue. We got to embrace. I mean, it just goes on to the point of nauseam, Leo. But this to me is very dangerous. Well, I think you have a very keen sense of discernment, Sheila, because you're not the only one that I've talked to that has this feeling. Whenever Hollywood and the media all jump onto a certain theme, it usually doesn't turn out too good for us Christ yeah, us Bible-believing yeah. Christians, does it? Amen. Uh, you know, remember a few years ago, what was the big thing? States were passing in America, one state after another was passing referendums at the polls, declaring their state marriage laws to the effect that we would define marriage as being between one man and one woman. I mean, it was just a firestorm. One state after another was voting to do this. Yeah. This was like around 2009, 2010. And before you know it, within a couple of years after that, we have same-sex marriage in every state, and the Supreme Court has approved it. 
But this didn't happen overnight. We had TV show after TV show ramming that down our throat, normalizing, trying to normalize this idea that a man and another man could have a marriage relationship and a woman and another woman could be in a marriage relationship. You know, so it went from something that was considered completely weird and out of the ordinary to the point that even Barack Obama in his first campaign for presidency, the liberal Barack Obama said he defined marriage as between one man and one woman. But it turned on a dime after about five to ten years of constant of constant barrage of messages coming from Hollywood. And now the big thing in Hollywood is normalizing. They've moved beyond same-sex marriage, and now it's transgenderism. Bingo. And so tr- transgenderism, which has been defined as gender euphoria, I think yeah. is the psychological term, where a young person, you know, is confused in their formative years as to, you know, their gender. This is a very normal psychological problem that tends to be outgrown by 90% of people if it's not reinforced and encouraged. Well, now they're changing that through the messages of the media again to be, to normalize it. So when you see the Muslim woman in the hijab and the you know the little fun jokes and this that and the other now coming out through the media in the TV shows, the sitcoms, the movies, you have to ask yourself what's going on here. Yes. I think they're trying to normalize Islam, which right now is about 1.2% of the population in America, but they know it's going to be growing over the years. Even if we didn't return to the massive immigration numbers that we saw under the last prior two administrations of George W. Bush and, and Barack Obama, it would still be probably the fastest growing religion in America, simply because of the fact that Muslim families tend to be much, much larger than Christian or Jewish families. And so we're going to see that population increasing. And and by the way, I don't believe that the immigration, which is stalled right now, is going to continue that way. I predict it will continue. It will go back to levels that we had not seen since. Yeah, it's going to be on steroids, basically, once the next president comes in, making up for lost ground. And so this population is going to grow. And as it grows, it's going to want to uh, start implementing elements of Sharia law. And so we need to prep the American population for this. And how do we do it? We do it through the media and through popular culture, through music, entertainment, movies, sitcoms, what have you. You know, it's the gamut. And of course, we know it's in our schools already. And so this is this is what's happening. Now, you said you were torn and have mixed feelings. I completely identify with that. And I guess that leads us to what is our proper response to all of this as Christian believers. In my opinion, we are to eschew any sort of not only violence, but even violent talk. You know, you hear all this talk about people, oh, you know, go spread pig's blood or pig's urine or pig feces on the mosque door and they'll leave, you know. Number one, that's false. All that's going to do is make the Muslim community feel more under attack and double down all the more. And, And the worst thing that care and the Muslim Brotherhood does against us is this constant victim mentality that they, you know, all this Islamophobia and anti-Muslim hate speech, which I believe there is a lot of speech, but there's hardly any hate crimes in this country against Muslims. Very few. Hate 
hate crimes against Jewish people are more than double those, if you look at the FBI statistics, more than double those that you would find against any Muslim communities or Muslim persons. And many of the attacks that are logged as hate crimes, we find out later that it was just faked. You know, the Muslim woman claims some man, white man, came and yanked off her hijab. Months later, she admits that the story was completely fabricated. So these statistics are very unreliable, but we do know that hate crimes against Muslims are still very low in this country. We want to keep it that way. We don't want to go down that road. On the other hand, we also don't want to go down the road of interfaith dialogue. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't show up at these meetings. Maybe we should, because the message that they bring to these dialogues is that, you know, while we respect Christianity and we want to live in peace with you, we respect Jesus Christ. He's very important to us, in fact, and he's our second most important prophet in our faith. He's not the Son of God. He did not die on a cross for anybody's sins. He doesn't have the power to forgive sin. He was not resurrected. And he's certainly not coming back again to bring all of his followers into the kingdom. They have their version of Jesus, and he's very different, very different than our version. In fact, he's a violent character who will come back in the last days under Islamic teaching and convert all the Christians to Islam. He will tell them that, you know, you've had it wrong all these centuries. I'm not the son of God. I was just a prophet, and Muhammad was a higher prophet. And he will come back and, quote, break the crosses. That's the whole purpose of the second return of Jesus under Islam. He will break the crosses. He will bring together an army to convert forcibly those who don't accept his message that he was indeed a Muslim and he's not the son of God. And so it's very different, and we should not participate in any way that affirms the Islamic doctrine in that way. Now, if we want to go to these meetings and try to point out the truth— then God bless you, you know, but I would suggest that you get some training before you do that, because these Muslim imams are very clever, very clever, and they could really make you look bad in one of these meetings if you're not prepared. Well, that's right. Look at the poster boy for Chrislam, Rick Saddleback Huckster there. You know, they tried to whitewash that, but I'm going to tell you what, I have documents where they said on record, we're encouraging Christians and Muslims, Leo, to appreciate the similarities of our faith. I mean, this is very, very shocking. This whole sort of ecumenical movement, like the Islam Center of Southern California was being supported by pastors. Oh, well, we should just saddle up to, there you go, saddlebacks, saddle up to Muslims. (laughs) Muslims. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I hear what you're saying. Uh, Have you heard about this new movement, relatively new movement, Sheila, the Alliance of Virtue for the Common Good? Oh, yes, yes, yes. They had a big conference in Washington, D.C. on February 7th this year, and uh, apparently more than 400 faith leaders from the three Abrahamic religions met in D.C. under this umbrella interfaith movement called the Alliance of Virtue for the Common Good. And doesn't that sound wonderful? Mm. Uh, And they were surprised— at how many evangelical leaders actually showed up for this conference. The pastor, it's a pastor and a couple of imams, a sheikh and a 
reformed Jewish rabbi who are sort of heading it up, but it was initiated by the Muslim element, this trio. Isn't it interesting how these um, interfaith movements are always initiated by the Muslim element? Yeah. Remember a few years ago, we had the common word document that was signed by hundreds of faith leaders saying that we all, you know, believe in the same God and we want to coexist with each other. And it's usually a reform Jewish element, some liberal Christian pastors, and of course the Muslim Brotherhood-inspired imams and sheikhs. However, what was different about this most recent conference in February of this year in D.C. was they had a large element, surprisingly, of evangelical leaders who turned out. And these were the very folks who they thought were their enemy number one. They found out they can actually be conned into joining this movement as well. There's a big megachurch out of, I believe, Dallas, Texas, trying to think of the name of the pastor, but he was the ringleader on the Christian side. Leo, is that Bob Roberts? That big- Bob Roberts, okay. that is him, yes. And again, it's the exact same strategy that Muhammad used when he was in those early days trying to convince peacefully some of the uh, opposing religions to join him. You know, he offered the olive branch first. And, you know, then those who reject the olive branch are marginalized and painted as the enemy. Bingo. Yeah, we're a bunch of Islamophobes. And they're really playing that card, like you've said. You know, there's an estimated 1.2 billion Roman Catholics in the world, according to Vatican figures. And yet you've got the Pope, this absolute devil. I mean, we've seen, I've covered this for years. Pope Francis allowing the Muslim Quran prayers from the Vatican, last year Islamic prayers at the Vatican, the first time in Vatican history the Pope allowing for the reading of Islamic prayers and and Quran readings? This New World Order minion praying in mosques and, and no Catholic bats an eye? I mean, this is just, it's shocking to me. To me, Sheila, the end goal of these interfaith movements, if you really want to be honest with yourself, the end goal is to get Christians to deny the deity of Christ. Yes. And, and, and just sort of fold the tent. If not actually fold the tent, de facto fold the tent. In other words, you know, we're not going to push the gospel message anymore among, uh, certainly not among in, in the Islamic countries. We're not going to offer it to them, and so they're, they will be neutralized. And uh, that is the end goal. And some of them will actually end up, I predict, converting to Islam. But those who don't convert will be neutralized. They will, they will be relegated to a very lukewarm Christianity that does not aggressively present Christ as the answer to the nations, the, the savior of the world, the forgiver of sin, the one who died for us on the cross and will be returning to reign and rule for a thousand years. That is what is going to be neutralized. And some of them will astonish the world over the next five to ten years, mark my words, some will, will actually convert to Islam. Stunning. Well, you know, and another thing that's disturbing is a complete media blackout. And I said this a couple of weeks ago when the van driver killed the 10 innocent people and injured 16 in Canada in Toronto. I said, why is there a media blackout on the fact that this guy was a Muslim? Oh, disturbed individual plows into crowd. Mm-hmm. Oh, disturbed individual. No, they would not say this man was a Muslim. There's a complete media 
blackout. They don't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole, and that's disgusting. It's just like this headline the other day. In fact, speaking of WorldNet Daily, Muslim family rapes and kills Christian teen slave. She got strangled for not doing her household chores properly. I mean, that was covered by two outlets. And you look at how this thing's metastasizing in in Europe. It's total rapageddon. How is is this what we want in our country? The barbarism, the the butchering and the bloodshed? That's what we want on North American soil because it's here. Well, that's because they've moved to the upper house. In, yeah. as, as we talked about earlier, in, in some of these European countries, like France is now approaching 10% Muslim with its population. And so they can be much bolder there. They don't have to talk so much about the religion of peace. But uh, here in America, where it's such a small, and in Canada, it's still a very small uh, percentage. You know, I don't think they want too much of the, too many of these attacks. I really don't. Now, one here and there, what I call like pinprick attacks, like we saw at the mall in uh, St. Cloud a couple of years ago where the Somali Muslim refugee went on a a knife attack and stabbed 10 people before he was shot dead by an off-duty policeman. That was in 2016, less than two years ago. And we had the attack at right around the same time in New York where the Afghan refugee laid the pipe bombs in the Chelsea neighborhood injuring I think a couple of dozen many seriously and when we had the OSU Ohio State attack where a student again a Somali rammed his car into a group of students and then jumped out and tried to stab them he was also killed you know I call them pinprick attacks just one every couple of years maybe a flurry every couple of years of several but we haven't seen these big massive attacks like they had on Paris and you know, remember the one in Brussels, these big coordinated military type attacks, you know, the one in the UK at that concert, uh, I forget the name of the, the young lady who was the, uh, the concert, remember in, um, Ariana Grande, Ariana Grande, exactly. You know, just very well coordinated military style attacks that other than nine 11, we've not had that on our continent. And so, you know, but every now and then one of these impatient Islamists, that we talked about goes and does a pinprick attack, a jihadist attack. Then all of us who sort of bring to the fore in the public spaces the you know the true element of Islam, this is what it's about, folks. Then we are immediately derided as Islamophobes. And so they don't mind these pinprick attacks, but they're not really ready for the large-scale attacks in the United States or Canada. They do like these pinpricks, though, because it draws out the Islamophobes, and then they get to condemn us and say, see, there you go. He's trying to make a generalization and call all Muslims evil, all Muslims violent, and it's just not true. It's a small element. They've perverted Islam. That's not the true Islam. And see, so it puts us in our place, and it solidifies them as having the moral high ground. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, and then look at what's going on in the schools. Every other day, somebody emails me copies of stuff their kids are bringing. This is every state, the slow acclimation to Islam in the schools. This stuff is frightening what these little kids are learning. This is a full-out propaganda assault on our young children. 
Oh, Sheila, I, I had a story uh, on my website. By the way, I have a website for your listeners to go to if they want to keep up on all of this stuff. It's my name, basically, leohoman.com. And one of the stories I had a few months ago was a school system in a school district in New Jersey that was actually teaching, I believe it was fifth graders, fifth or eighth graders, I don't remember, this was several months ago, but they were showing a film that actually concluded that Islam is the one true religion. Oh. Islam is the one true religion. And they're teaching the five pillars. Uh, they're teaching, as you said, all this stuff across the states in our public schools. And I believe even some of the Catholic schools are starting now to initiate their young students into Islam. There's been cases I've uh, seen in Omaha, Nebraska being one, where a Catholic school was bringing its, an all-girls Catholic school in Omaha, was bringing its students to the local mosque to learn about Islam from the imam there. I've heard wow. the same thing going on in other states. It's, it's very creepy. Yeah, creepy and demonic. Well, for the listeners listening, of course, we get the problem. Leo, address the solution to this. For for people that are listening, the body of Christ, I mean, you've studied this under a microscope. What is your what is your thoughts and feelings on the solution to this? Well, I think number one, and this may sound cliche, but we need to be in prayer. My friend Joel Richardson just tweeted today that, you know, Ramadan starts today. He said, what a better time to start praying for Muslims, mm. praying that they would be uh, get revelation about, about Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of Muslims are open to it. If you have a Muslim friend, like I said, many of them are not steeped in the Quran. They never even have read the Quran, or they certainly haven't read the Hadiths. All they know is what their imam tells them, and maybe they don't go to mosque that often. So do not be afraid to share the gospel. Pray for them and share the gospel with them. These are the two most important things we can do. That not only offers the truth to your Muslim friend, but it shows your Muslim friend that he is living in what is still a Christian country. The whole reason that many of the uh, Islamic leaders want more and more of these refugees to come in and these uh, immigrants of other types to come in, and by the way, 80%, 80% of the imams in this country of America are foreign-born, yeah. trained, in, trained in Sharia law, most of them at Al-Azhar University, the most prestigious uh, Islamic studies program in the world uh, where they learn about all of these deceptions we've been talking about and how to offer Islam to a non-Islamic society in a way that will be palatable. And so uh, the reason they want to bring more and more in is so that because they sense why do they want to do it, they sense that Christianity is on the wane in these Western countries. They sense that now is the time, now is the point in history where Islam can have its moment. Islam is fast approaching in the next 10 to 15 years, I believe Islam is on track to become the world's most numerous religion. They have 1.5 billion adherents right now. There's about 2 billion or so Christians. But Christianity is on the wane, and Islam is seen as on the rise. Forget the fact that it's on the rise, not because people absolutely you know, love are in love with its message. It's just that Muslim families procreate at a rate far quicker than Christians, and there's also that element of spreading it by the sword in in other countries throughout Asia and the Middle East. So it is a fact that they are on the rise. Christianity is on the wane, 
And so they sense that their moment is arising, their historic moment. And this is what gives them boldness. This is what gives them energy to propagate and offer this soft sell I was talking about earlier in the show. It's not all about terrorism. That's one thing we need to get out of our minds. While terrorism is part of it, the thing that I fear much more, because it's so deceptive, Sheila, is this, this civilization jihad. It's also called cultural jihad or soft jihad, where they bring it about by corrupting and infiltrating our institutions, and that be the church, the government, and the educational system. If I had to boil it's more complicated than that, but if you boil it down, that's essentially it. And so this is, this is why I think it's important to reach out to your Muslim friend in love, pray for them, and tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how your Jesus is different. Your Jesus died for you. Your Jesus is all about love for the world and love for you, Mr. and Mrs. Muslim. You know, he loved you, he died for you. And and I think that is really the key to it all. A lot of people talk about, you know, electing better politicians. That's never going to happen. Our victories in this country, and I'm sure as you've seen in Canada, are never going to happen through politicians. No. It starts with us. It starts in the church. It starts with prayer, and it starts with reaching out in love and truth and faith. But also at the same time, I, while I agree with that, I think freedom-loving Americans, they have to push back also against the funding of these, you know, like especially the federal refugee resettlement programs. Yes. I mean, it's really important that we don't let Congress off the hook for this stuff. And at the local level, we really have to demand greater transparency from our officials, too. That Absolutely. Ab- I, I, have, I do have more faith, if we're going to talk about politics, at the local level that we could make a difference. I have almost come to the point where I have uh, written off the federal level. And by this, I'm talking about the, the Senate and the House. Do you know, Sheila, that last year, one year ago, in April of 2017, the U.S. Senate passed by unanimous consent a Senate Resolution 118. It was a resolution sponsored by Marco Rubio and Susan Collins, two Republicans, in partnership with a couple of liberal Democrats. This bill passed unanimously. It's basically a hate speech bill, hate crimes bill, that mentions Islam, Hinduism, Judaism, as religions that are off-limits to criticize in any way that would be considered hateful. Now, it doesn't mention Christianity, so I guess it's okay to speak hatefully against Christianity. Right. Do you know that there wasn't one U.S. senator who would stand up against that bill? Not one. Yeah. It did not pass the House, thank God, or we would have that resolution in place right now. And a resolution, while not having the force of a law, is a precursor, and it does set the foundation for what I believe will be a future law, similar to what you have in Canada that you mentioned with the uh, MS-103 and the hate speech laws that we see in the UK, Germany, Sweden, Belgium, the Netherlands. You know, it's one falling like an, after another, like dominoes, these Western countries capitulating to Islam and saying, okay, we will not criticize anything having to do with your religion. It's okay to criticize our own religion, but we won't do it to your religion. And so we see government favoring Islam, special rights, special privileges for this one religion. Why is that? We must ask ourselves, why is this one religion above reproach, above criticism, uh, when no other religions seem to qualify for that status? 
what it goes back to, to me, Leo, is the price of lukewarm Christianity. These spineless pastors, the Laodicean church pastors who will not preach the true gospel. And and there's a price to pay in that because if we're really going to take our Christianity seriously and go back to a a powerful gospel, I mean, that book of Acts, they turned the world upside down in all cultures. And that's what we've got to get back to so that we are impactful. I think that's really important. And I think you just hit on it, Sheila. And this is what I was, you just said it more eloquently than what I was trying to say a few moments ago, that we just have to fearlessly speak out our faith and not and let the chips fall where they may we don't hate muslims we love muslims but they're going to say that we hate them simply because we don't buy into this thinking that the religion of islam is above reproach we're not criticizing individual muslims we're criticizing islam it's okay in a free society to criticize a religion it is not they call us racist well i have news for them Islam is not a race. So next time somebody says, oh, you're just a bigoted racist. Well, oh, really? Tell me, what race is Islam? <laughs> you know, it, that will shut that down right away. Uh, and so, you know, just try to uh, learn a little bit about the enemy's tactics. They always try to deflect attention away from the facts and on to this dumbed-down type of debate that basically devolves it down to name-calling. It's really something that uh, no educated person should want to engage in. Yeah, well, we've got to be armed with knowledge, armed with truth. And boy, we've got to be armed with the gospel. You know, we hear these stories of jihadis turning to Jesus, Muslim refugees finding Christ, millions of Muslims converting to Christianity, you know, having dreams, visions. So we do have to pray. We have to do spiritual warfare and and deal with these evil spirits. And that's where walking in the power, the dominion, the authority that we have in Jesus is so important. Now, Leo, give out your website and tell folks how they can get a copy. And I highly recommend they do get a copy of this amazing book. Give out your info, please. Sure. Uh, My website is leohoman.com. That's L E O. And then the last name, which is spelled a little differently, H-O-H-M-A-N-N. So leohoman.com. You can also follow me on Twitter. I usually uh, tweet out most of my stories. I'm at Leo Homan on Twitter. And uh, read the book. I, I really challenge people to read the book and see what they feel about it. Ask the Lord if it rings true to them. Because it was not meant to be any book that riles anyone up against Muslims. They're here, they're staying, there's nothing we can do about that. But learn about Islam and speak the truth about Islam, which will be a hard message for many Muslims, but uh, they need to hear it, and Christians need to hear it as well, because they're being fed these lies by the soft-peddling pastors that you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago who are into deception and being deceived by these crafty, clever imams who tell them that, you know, all three Abrahamic faiths are essentially the same. That's not true. Uh, They can get it on Amazon uh, or Barnes & Noble. 
they can also order it off of my website directly from me, in which case they would get a signed copy. And, and truthfully, it's only going to be about $1.50, $2 more to get a signed copy after you pay for the shipping at Amazon. So uh, go to Amazon if you're just looking for the cheapest deal. You'll save a dollar or two. Go to my website and order it, in which case I will get you a copy out that's signed uh, by the author. Wonderful. Stealth Invasion is the name of the book, folks. Muslim Conquest Through Immigration and Resettlement Jihad. I've got Leo's information linked in the description below. And do follow him on Twitter. And as he said, get a signed copy of it. Leo, it was such a pleasure. I really enjoyed this book. And I really want to thank you for your work and your effort in this move. It's a very important one. And I thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Thank you, Sheila, for having me on. And I hope uh, that Uh, you will have many, many years of continuing your wonderful ministry on the air. Thank you, Leo. God bless you, sir. Folks, that was Leo Holman. His information is linked below. There's a direct link to his website, and there's a direct link to this book as well. Get this book. Boy, there's a lot of topics that are important. This is right up there as far as I'm concerned. I don't think anyone's really put this thing together quite like Mr. Holman. So I really encourage you to also reach out to Leo. Let him know you heard him on the program. I think he did a fantastic job. What what an amazing conversation. Well, folks, tomorrow on the program, it is Pastor Rodney Howard Brown. He's going to talk a little bit about his appearance on the Alex Jones show. And I'm going to ask him a question that's going to shock you. Yep, I'm going there. So you definitely want to be paying attention to that show. That is tomorrow. And good news. They tell me the new website is launching on Monday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We're just working on final little things. And then the big launch is next week. So I'm really excited about it. www.sheila.media is the flagship home. And you're going to really love the user friendliness of this new site. I'm really excited about it. Hey, and do become one of my patrons. Throw it in a search. Sheila Zelinsky patron. Become one of my patrons for any amount. And do support my work. And I thank you for that. We'll see you real soon, folks. Good night and God bless.